So let's jump in. We, if you want to follow, uh, here's some verses. We'll start off with John 13, 35. It says, everyone will know that you are my disciples because of your love for each other. Now, we talked about community last week. We'll probably talk about it a couple more times um, beyond tonight. So why are we talking about community? We know in Revelation 19 that it says, i tell you what, let me turn over there. Call up my Bible app here. So if you want to follow along, Revelation 19.6 is where I'm reading. It's talking about the bride of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to tie this into community and why it's so important and why the Lord is emphasizing presence and emphasizing people coming together. It's a big deal. These are big macro movements. These are big uh, movements that God is doing on the earth. This is where it ends up. I heard what sounded like the noise from a large crowd. This is John speaking towards the end of Revelation. Still had a couple more chapters. Like the noise of raging waters, like the noise of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, the Lord our God, the Almighty, has become King. Let us rejoice, be happy, and give Him glory, because it's time for the marriage of the Lamb. His bride, that's us, which is a subset of Christianity, has made herself ready. Why is it a subset of Christianity? This makes a lot of Christians mad when I say this. It's because His bride, which we know as us, has made herself ready. Not all Christians have made themselves ready. I'm not exactly sure what all ready means. I'm thinking through it now. I'm trying to process it now. Is that the Lord gave me that word? I've talked about it before. If you are not familiar with it, back in October, what is the the vision of RC? What's this new era that we're in? He says two things about inviting His presence in and preparing His bride. And so, what does all that mean? It's pretty vague, and so I'm trying to think through it. But there is a group of people that have prepared themselves and made themselves ready. Verse 8, she has been given the privilege of wearing dazzling pure linen. This fine linen represents the things that God's holy people do that have His approval. And so the bride is considered one. He's not marrying seven billion people. Somehow or another, he's marrying one bride that is made up of all of us. And so over time, He's going to be bringing us closer together. Say there are a billion Christians that are part of the bride. I don't know how many. It's going to be billions. But how many it is when you count all of history for the last 2,000 years. There's going to be... It's going to be not fighting. It's not dividing. Not individualistic. We'll have our groups, obviously. But we'll be... We'll be um, walking together. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. This is a verse that we're all familiar with, but it's a great passage. So the movement towards one another, and the movement towards a group of people, the movement in some kind of community or core is is has got to happen. Because it reflects the Trinity. We talked about that last time. God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one community. They're one unit. 
three personalities. They prefer one another. They submit to one another. They love one another. And we're to reflect that. Now, we're obviously a billion plus Christians, but there's going to be pockets of it that is um, important and tells the world they love each other. They're living for something beyond just themselves. To live in community takes work. We want to hide in ourselves. We want to... Um, not let anybody see into us. You know, the big buzzword for Gen Z and millennials is authentic and transparent and uh, relatable. And that's one of the major reasons they don't go to church anymore, supposedly. I think it probably goes deeper, but that is at least a surface uh, symptom. He's going to change that. He is going to reverse that. Now, I can't be authentic with the 25 people that are here, but... Uh, I can be authentic with five, six, seven, eight people here, transparent with five, six, seven, eight people, and or whatever that number is. It's going to change when people are going to come in. They're going to go, I, this is a relationship. This is a group of people that I've never seen. Especially in America, it's easy to say that. And I, there's something calling in me to want to be that. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. This is pretty long. I might not read all of it. But um, you are familiar with this. We've heard this a zillion times. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. In this room, there's, I don't know how many is in here, 25, 30 people. We're all many parts, but He wants us to be one body. <clears throat> now, we, it's not like the spoke, it's not like the wheel on a bicycle where you got one central hub and then you got all these spokes coming off of it. The body is different. Let's say I'm a forearm and John over here is a, a bicep. Well, who is the elbow? We need the elbow to connect. Say it's Trini. Of course, this is a metaphor. But our assignment to move the hand is going to take at least three of us. I'm not even counting the shoulder and whatever. So I need to at least know which part of the body is attached to me. Now, this is metaphorical. We have to make it practical. But you can look at the big picture. Each of us is attached. God has people for us to be attached to. Some parts of the body may be more than one or two part connections. Some of them may be more connections. But there is a right people for each of us to be connected to. And um, and it's just not just, you know, my family of four and more. It's to be bigger than that. We want that your family to be that way, and that might be your battle right now. Some of us are like, my family is so dysfunctional. If I could get them together, it would be a miracle. Well, work on that. But eventually, he's going to want your family, as it gets healthier, to expand to show his love of being in unity with other people around you. And it's a... Um, I'm not trying to make it vague, but without talking to one-on-one with us, this is a valuable thing. 
Because our society, as I said last week, is falling apart. Um, it's just a mess. And some of it, not all of it, a lot of it's because we're not following the Bible. We're not living according to God's ways. We talked about that. You obey God, you get success. You disobey God, you get chaos and death. But some of this is because... But somebody... But they also... Okay, slow down, Craig. Your brain's going too fast. Also... Some of their, they're coming out of such dysfunctional families, it's insane. I remember when Abigail, which is seven years older than Israel, when she was like in the fifth or sixth grade, I asked how many, we, we won't go through the details, but found out there's only like one or two people, she's 28 now, so this was 20 years ago, there was only like one or two kids in her family, in her classroom, that, that, uh, or a product that their parents were divorced. Most of them were together. By the time Israel came along, just seven years later, it had reversed. Most of them came from a divorced family, and only one or two of them were together. And I'm like, just in seven years? But this thing had been building. And so those kids are going to have to deal with more stuff than the ones that Abigail went through, Because kids are not made to be in these dysfunctional... They're made to be in community. They're made to have their nucleus family. And the the, the church is the hope of this thing. I mean, there are some other groups out there sort of doing this. But I'm telling you, our biggest way that we can change our society is to have healthy families, healthy marriages, and then healthy groups like this. Um, And that is just a benefit... so let me talk about some benefits of community. One of them is what I just said. It will change your your local influence. It will change your area. That's the first one. And you go, just by having healthy, oh yes. It's a big deal. I won't go into all the details because I, I don't want to go into all the details because it's confidential. But I've, I've counseled enough of my own kids. I've counseled some of your kids. I've canceled other kids at other churches. Dating used to be sort of straightforward. You dated, you saw if you were compatible, if you like, if you're attracted to each other, and you worked, and then you sort of moved towards making it, uh, permanent. No way. I have not seen one of those in years. I don't even know what those look like anymore. I forgot. I'd have to get my notes out. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Now it's like, this is the areas of dysfunctionality in one or both of you that shouldn't be there, but are there because you didn't have a healthy family and because they were dysfunctional, doing the best they can. We've got to work through all of this stuff before you even have a chance of staying together past six months. And most of them are open. But most of them don't even know what normal is anymore. Do you see this in your practice? Am I exaggerating? And so they'll go, it's no longer just am I attracted? We have same values. Do we walk through this? And so that's why I'm saying healthy families, us modeling it. If your kids are out of the house, mine are basically out of the house. Start doing it with friends, grandkids, whatever, you and your wife, people here. It will change society. It's slow. My gosh, it's slow. I mean, one couple that we're, we're 
that Susan and I, that y'all don't know that we're counseling, we gave them the boundaries book. And the relationship is maybe not going to make it. We get together like three weeks later. Why haven't, and they haven't even read the boundaries book or even studied it. Well, we don't think we're that messed up. Yes, you are. (laughs) You will not last a year. Well, how can you say that? Because I've been married 38 years and we were a lot more functional. Not that we were that functional, but we were more functional. Because I'm telling you, this is where it's going to go. And so, community, us coming together, helping each other. I'm not slamming any generation, any people. They need what's in you more than you realize. They and they need what, and if we need to grow up, there's always areas we got. We grow up, and it's a ripple effect that will help put our society back together. Is that all right? Another thing, another benefit of community, one is, is helping your, the second is we need one another. I sort of think like I w- I'm sort of the Adam, like Adam, the first man. You know, I often think, I hate to say it because I said it last week, I'm a project guy. I might have been all right without Eve. <laughs> but God knew better, better than me. Genesis 1.18 says it is not good for Craig to be alone. That's Craig's version. <laughs> Read the what? I need to read the boundaries book. That's right. If there's no people, I don't need boundaries, right? <laughs> and, and so, um, it is not good for Craig to be alone. No matter what I think, or no matter what you think, we are better off if we'll work through our stuff, and um, because we are interconnected. I love this. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Did I put this in here? Oh, yeah, here we go. So this is for Craig, none of you. I did not write these down myself. I got it from a book called by Carl George. It doesn't matter. He went through and came up with the 59 verses in the New Testament that have do this one to another. Anybody have you ever seen this? And they're commandments. In Mark, he starts in Mark. I won't go probably through all of them. In Mark, be at peace with each other. That right there may take us a little while. I could stop preaching, and if you're in that with relationships, oh my God, don't listen to anything else. Go home, work on being at peace. It may take a little while. I mean, we just go over it. John 13, wash one another's feet. I'm not too much into that, but there's probably something there. Maybe some humility lessons there. Both sides. I've had people wash my feet. I'd rather wash your feet than you wash my feet. But there's a humility lesson there. One, two, three, five times in the, in, in the book of John, it says love one another. Of course, you probably heard that. Romans 12, love one another. Romans 12, honor one another. Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. That's another one. Sometimes I just gotta go, I can't do anything else. I'm not preaching. I'm not reading my Bible. I've gotta figure out how to get harmony the one time it didn't happen in my family. Amen. This week. <laughs> um, instruct one another. Romans 15. Here's another one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Not really quite sure how that fits into our society. We can leave that one to last. What is there? 59. We'll work on the 57 other ones and leave washing the feet and kiss to somewhere else. 
Once we do the other ones, we probably do the other one. Serve one another, Galatians 5. I'm just picking these out. Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. I tell you what, we really need that. There is a lot of turmoil right now. There's a lot of worry right now. There's a lot of anxiety right now. And sometimes it's just nice to know that somebody texted you and go, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Is there anything practical that I can do for you? Even if you don't do anything, just the thought lifts you up. Oh, here's one in Ephesians 4. Be patient with one another. Ephesians 4, forgiving each other. There's a bunch of these things in here. Oh, here's a good one. First Thessalonians. May Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Lots of kisses and lots, lots of washing of the feet. Goes on and on. First John, one, two, three, four, five, six times in first John, love one another. He must really mean this. And that's first Corinthians 13. Be patient, be kind, assume the best. I don't remember all of them. There's a bunch of them. Ooh, there you go. First Peter four. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So let's go back to benefits because that's one of the benefits I got. We need one another. I just mentioned a bunch. Um, so it said, use your gift that I just read for one another. It's amazing. You know the most... You get so many... Well, if they're type A and they're public type people, they want to minister. They want to preach. They want to sing. They want to do whatever. And that's good. That's legit. But I'm telling you, some of the best ministry is just going to be one-on-one or in a small group. And if if you're not sure where you should minister, look around. You'll figure it out. If your gift is giving from Romans 12, look around. You'll see needs all around you. If your gift is serving from Romans 12, there's seven gifts there. Look around. Don't look for a position. Don't look for a place. That's the body of Christ. And that's true ministry. And if you see somebody struggling or sir, or whatever, especially if they're a single parent or mom or go, can I take your kids to the park for you for three or four hours? That's, and you got the gift of serving, go do that. I mean, do it if you don't have the gift of serving, but you do that. That is just as valuable, just as important, just as many rewards helping out that single parent, and it's usually moms, but sometimes it's dads. I'm telling you, if you just did that regularly, you're giving them strength, you're giving them encouragement, and you're going to feel fulfilled. Most of our gifts are to be done one-on-one with people or one-on-three with people. As it said in one of the things we read, instruct one another. If one of your gifts is teaching, then not in a preachy way, not in a condescending way, not in a patronizing way. Come up and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? But you think ahead of time what their situation is, how you can provide a solution. It's not judgment. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe this will help you in this. So what you got to do ahead of time is you got to listen to people. Listen for giving, listen, listen for serving, listen for teaching, whatever your gift is. And if you will listen, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will start coming on you and show you how to show the love of God, show your gift to them, and then bonds will start forming. And so, don't wait till Sunday morning. Look around. You can do this with people at work. 
One of the guys, as an example, one of the guys that I work with is a developer. Not this past week, but the week before, he he uh, wasn't at our date, what we call our daily stand-up meeting. And he texted us later and said his best friend's son committed suicide. Okay, so I looked for an opportunity. This week I was able to call him about a, a project, and at the end I said, "How?" and he's not a Christian, How he's, he, I said, how is your friend doing? We were on there for 20 or 25 minutes. I did mostly listening, but I, I tried to speak. It wasn't hope because it wasn't his son, but I spoke into that situation that was conditional for it, and at the end he says, thanks for listening and talking. I didn't give him the gospel. I just showed him the love of Jesus, used some of my experiences in the past, because it wasn't the same, but my brother Ken, about 10 years ago, his son died in a tragic accident. And so it wasn't suicide. It's not the same, but you see some of those same battles. And so it helped him to understand what was going on with his friend, because his friend shut down and wouldn't talk to him at all. And so, you know, came the island, man is alone type of deal, which is common, and no hardness in them. So the, look for those opportunities, and it's spreading the love of God around. Because the third thing we need, the benefits of, encourage, of the community, is encouragement. We just need to be encouraged. And uh, I read it earlier, but I'll read it again. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as, it, as in fact you are doing. This is a spiritual law. What you sow, you will reap. If you'll sow encouragement, sow listening, sometimes people just need to be listened to. So listening, encouragement into people when you need it. Maybe you don't need it in that area, but you will reap it. It comes back. And um, you'll be surprised. Hebrews 10.25 shows that this is a... Let me read it. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give, give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One trend I see in the West is people have, more people do not ever go to any Christian function, I believe they're still Christians, than go. At least statistically, that's what studies show. So, I don't want to get into legalism and judgment, say, you know, you got to come on Sunday night or Sunday morning or whenever your thing is. That's not necessarily the answer. The principle is this. We need each other, so you need to show up somewhere where there's other people that are believing the same way. You know, whether it's a small group. Online is good. I listen to a lot of messages online. Um, but that is information and teaching. It is not community and if I listen to Jensen Franklin down in Gainesville, his humongous church, he's got good stuff. Or whoever I listen to, Michael Molinas, Molianus, an image, Jesus Image Church, which is thousands of people, I get good stuff from him. But if I call him up and go, I'm having a hard time this week, he's, I'm not even going to get to ask the question. Okay, it's, and so, but at least here, you know, of our 25, 30, 40 people, whoever it is, you got several people, many people, probably everybody in this room you can call up, because it's all close-knit people, you can call up, you can call up Shana, Kathy, whoever, Lois, and go, I just, I'm not happy right now. Can I vent on you? 
or I need some wisdom or guidance or whatever. I mean, anybody in this room you can do this with. So there's 30 people right here you can do it with. That Most Christians that abandon going places do not have that option because they think they'll never need encouragement. But you will need it someday. But many of these Christians never get it, so this is what happens. They start falling away. I'm not talking into sin, but they move to a neutral place, maybe slightly negative place, because it is hard to keep moving forward. It's hard to keep your eyes on a God that you cannot see. And so you need people around just to help keep your eyes on that. And so I, I, my heart breaks for all these Christians for whatever reason. Some of them may be legit. They dropped out. Most of them, they just it didn't go their way, and so they dropped out. I don't know. There's a zip, probably as many people as there's many reasons. Some of them good, some of them bad. But the problem is, if times start getting tougher, this has been a tough year. 2023 has not been a fun year economically, politically, Spiritually, there's been a lot of hard stuff. Maybe, you know, in some areas my life spiritual has gotten better, but other ways I'm like, what is going on in this world? And so I've appreciated having you guys around to bounce ideas off of you. Some of you are more bent towards politics, so I'll call you every once in a while and go, this is a mess. You know, and he goes, yep, it's a mess. But Jesus is going to take care of you and me. And so you just need that sometimes. So... One of the tactics I've seen over the last four to five, six years is trying to peel people off from church. And I don't think it's God. I think it's the devil because we need, we affect our region by being together. We need one another, the encouragement. Um, Proverbs, here's another reason. Wisdom. Going through these fast, but I think it's obvious. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise. I tried to find the source of a quote I've said a hundred times, but I couldn't find it. I found like 12 people that said it was their quote, so who knows where it started. The quote was this, or some derivation of it you've probably heard. I can predict what you're going to be like in five years by the books you read and the people you hang out with. That is so true. The books could include the Bible, could include anything. But I can predict where you're going to be in five years by the books you read and the people you hang out with. And I've been around long enough to know that's true. Now, there are some people that I am around that are a mess. I'm not really hanging out with them. I'm ministering to them. There is a difference. But the people I hang out with, go to theaters with, go to eat dinner with, you will eventually be like them. It's just what this verse says. He who walks with the wise grows wise. So if there's some area you want to grow in, say you want to become a better parent, you got young kids, do not go to somebody whose family is a mess. Look at them and go, they've got great kids. I'm hanging out with that guy. Maybe he's not wise on how to become a millionaire, but he's a wise on how to raise his kids. If you want to be wise on how to, write, how to be a millionaire, go find you a millionaire. I don't know any, but they're out there. Hang out with them. Ignore their parental advice, maybe. Because nobody's wise in all areas. You get the point here. Um, oh, this is a good one. Another benefit of community. Maturity. Don't you just love Proverbs? Proverbs is brutal. It's straight to the point. There's no woke. There's no caring about your feelings. If you're a good southerner, that has to have a lot of chit-chat talk before you get it to you. Proverbs can be brutal. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. 
As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you ever had somebody come into your life that you couldn't get rid of that aggravated you to all pieces? Most of the time, that's probably God. And there are periods, maybe, I've heard, in marriage that it can be that way. That this person you love that thought was the best looking person on the planet, all of a sudden, they are irritating the heck out of me. Why didn't I see this before I got married? Because love is blind. And that's God too. But those people that irritate you, if you can get away from them, fine. I'm not saying be a masochist. But sometimes they're in your family. Sometimes they're in your work group. I've had one developer I've been working with for 18 months. He drives me insane. Every time we get together, I have to go, God, patience, long-suffering. Help me not to kill him. Help me not to... It's just not been fun. Okay? I mean, if you've got those. Most of those are God. And if we'll embrace it and say, God, how can I live with this person because they're irritating something in me that's irritable? If there wasn't an irritant inside of me, they couldn't irritate me. So what is it in me? And let me get victory over this thing. So that doesn't irritate me anymore. My mom was like Proverbs. She was not sugarcoating when we were growing up. She was a great mom. I remember she t- was telling, I don't remember, maybe it was me, maybe it was all of us, but I remember you telling, I think it was one of, one of my brothers, Brian or Ken, like four, 40 years, I, I know she said it to me too, but like 40 years ago, they were having trouble with a girlfriend, something was irritating them. No, I don't remember what it was. Somebody was irritating them. And my mom said, if you don't learn to deal with it now, the Lord's going to allow you to marry somebody like that. And then you can't run from them and you're going to have to learn. And I was like, whoa. You know, I was like 12. Whoa. There's some truth to that. So other people sharpen us to get us mature. Character development. Some of that irritable person will probably be some of the most spiritually advancing times in your entire life. Yes, you come in here, you get in God's presence, you encounter Him, you la 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 you feel great, you live in peace. That's good. Do it. We need it. But that's different than the irritable person. It causes us to dig deep. And learn to assume the best and patience and love. Just saying. (laughs) Y'all good? Another another purpose of, uh, and then this will be the last purpose, or the benefits of community, is connections. When you look through scriptures, you will see, let's just take one example. There's a bunch of them. Um, Turn over to Acts 9, 26. We need each other to advance in the kingdom of God to do the assignments He has given us. You cannot do it by yourself. No matter how anointed Sean Blockley is, he cannot do everything he needs to do by himself. He needs connections. Josh, whatever his assignments are. Chad. We need each other, and God makes us interdependent on purpose and connections to get to where we go.
So we have the great apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, started most of the, the, the churches in the New Testament. We're jumping into Acts 9.26. He's just become saved. When he, and he, 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 uh, spent some time learning and growing in the Arabian desert. When he came to Jerusalem, remember he used to kill Jews. When he, or Christians, I'm sorry, not Jews. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, praise God for Barnabas's. Barnabas, as we read, had the gift of encouragement. Took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Paul, no matter how anointed he was, you could make an argument, he was one of the most anointed in the New Testament, have to have Barnabas as an introduction or a connection to even get in the group of Jerusalem. That's just the way God works. Um, Ruth. Ruth is another great example. I'm not going to go into it. But Ruth found her destiny with Boaz, which was a relative of her, of her mother-in-law. Ended up being in the line of Jesus. But I had to have a mother-in-law to make the connection. You could go on and on through the Bible. Um, and so, what's the point? Some of our destiny is totally... T- we, we're going to need each other and the connections they bring. There may be a connection for one connection is all we needed. They may be a connection for a lifetime. Some connections last a whole season. And so, um, you don't know. And, um, amen. All right, I was going to read one more verse, but I can't find where I put it. Let me look one more time, see if I can find it. So, to people like me that are real think we don't need people. We do. It just takes us a little long to get it. Is that's how God has created us. And that's what's crazy. Is He's created us this way and the quicker we, we realize it, um, the better everything goes. Alright, I can't find what I was looking for. I guess there are some advantages to paper notes sometimes. Any comments, disagreements, agreements, thoughts? Well, my wife has never irritated me. Just for the record, his wife has never irritated him. And I know every husband here would say the same thing. You have completely irritated her. Okay. She's shaking her head, yes. She's not even playing any little word games like you are. <laughs> Anybody else or thoughts on this? And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how we get 
where the Lord wants us to be. I think as a church, this church is pretty good. You know, we've got some good, strong relationships. Can we always get better? Yeah, I'm sure infinitely better. Hold on, we'll get there. And so, but I want to get there. We throw out the vision and the Lord will show us how. Yeah. I'm looking up something else. Keep talking. That's good. I like it. That's good. That's so good. Two commandments. Yeah, so good. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? And I think is it well, that's one advantage of being a smaller church. I mean, studies have shown statistically, and I think we fit into it. Smaller churches have better relationships. That's not to say some large churches don't, because a lot of them have great small groups and community programs, and so they they work through that. But it's typically easier in a smaller church. Because I don't think it's a large versus small, as long as the large has some outlet of small somewhere. Anybody else? All right. Y'all ready to go home? Anybody going out of the country? Out of the country. Out of the... Going off somewhere for Christmas? Where are you guys going? Florida. Florida. Anybody else? We're staying here. Anybody? I thought y'all were supposed to be going off camping this weekend. Oh, you did? Okay. One advantage of Sunday night, right? <laughs> Max was over at our house some night this week, Thursday, and we had a good time. I was there while we were eating dinner, and he was all excited about going somewhere. Y'all going camping. Yeah. All right, let me pray over you guys. Lord, I just thank you for these friends. I thank you for these people that help mature me. I thank you for these people that um, uh, that we walk together and, and become God-like together. I pray this week you just bless them with connections, bless them with relationships with you first and with other people. And almost everybody's going to be with some family somewhere here or other places. And just let it be the best family gatherings we've ever had. We just pray for your presence to come in and just be in that place. It'll be a place of peace. It'll be a place of of spiritual and soulish prosperity. In Jesus' name, amen.